Welcome, movie buffs and snack enthusiasts, to the tastiest podcast in town. I'm Michelangelo, and I'm joined by my partner in culinary crime, Charles. That's me. Hi. Today, we're bringing you our honest reviews of the latest movie release, but with a delicious twist. That's right. Our rating system is based on the snacks you know and you love from the local theater. The best of the best will earn the coveted peanut M&M's rating. Yum, I love me some peanut M&M's. While a solid performance will get you the trusty popcorn stamp of approval. But beware, the not-so-great movies will earn a hot dog review and the true flops will be relegated to the raisinette bin of shame. We're here to give you the inside scoop on which movies are worth your time and taste buds, all while indulging in our favorite theater snacks. So grab a tub of popcorn, sit back, and join us for another episode of Concession Impressions. Woo! On this episode, we are going to be talking about the new John Wick movie, John Wick 4, or I guess just John Wick Chapter 4. So this movie, again, is starring Keanu Reeves and like a pretty large cast, you know, including some returning cast like Lawrence Fishburne. But we have some newcomers. We have like Donnie Yen in here. We have the actual debut of Rina Sawayama. So exciting and... about that because I had no idea she was in this and she pops up and I'm like, oh my God, that's Rina Sawayama. Sorry, I really like her music. Okay, so you're going to have to you're gonna have to tell me then because I have no idea who Rina Sawayama was, but I'm intrigued. So now I'm going to say the director's name, but I'm going to mess it up. It's Chad Staleski. Could be. I don't really know. I'm not that familiar with his work. But I'll say this. The director, the writer, I think it doesn't really matter. You're here to see Keanu Reeves fight some people and kill some people. That's pretty much all this. these John Wick movies are. And um, they should just include like the choreography, like the, the action directors in these lists because they're the real stars of, of, uh, of pretty much this movie and these, these series of movies. Well, so you know what the origin story of this movie and this production company that makes this movie is right i do not please please tell me and the audience uh what you know chase sure so this movie the first john wick basically was a directorial debut of a longtime stunt coordinator and i believe stuntman himself and it was I believe he might have been like, don't quote me on this, this might be wrong, but he might have been like Brad Pitt's stunt double for like the 90s. <laughs> but anyway, so he directs this movie, John Wick, and it becomes a immediate classic hit. And from then, he leveraged that success into uh, starting 87 North, which is his production company in which they release these movies where the focus of the movie is basically just stunt action. So his entire filmography and this company's entire filmography are these really low concept. I mean, they're not low concept, they're high concept, but depending on how you how you use that terminology, but they're, they're not intellectually deep, but they are really creative and they're really visually striking action films. And so we've actually reviewed a few in the past. Uh, Bullet Train was one, the Santa Claus one, where he's uh, he fights a family of evil doers. He didn't direct that one, though. That was, he like just worked right. on it, he Right, he just produced it. His company, 87 North, produced it. And so... He's basically creating this whole film movement around stunt 
performers and it's really interesting to watch actually yeah he so he directed after john wick he went on to direct atomic blonde deadpool 2 mr um, nobody Hobbs and shaw and bullet train and then their company did a lot of other stuff but he specifically directed those ones and I do know a little bit. I kind of didn't know all the whole story, so I'm glad you filled in some of the blanks for me. But I will say that I do actually really enjoy them, mainly because they're a good time. You know, they're like one of those good time films. Yeah, it's pure entertainment. And I, I, I did find myself comparing this film actually a lot to Bullet Train, but I'll get into it a little bit. So I guess without further ado, I'm not going to really summarize the film, I guess, because we kind of already did. It's just... Uh, continuation John Wick for you don't really even need to watch one two or three to really enjoy this film it's just all you need to know Keanu Reeves is assassin trying to retire can't retire killing people wants to retire that's the whole thing that's just a bunch of people killing each other that's like the entire movie so let's jump into it. Sure. I mean, I think this movie is a really interesting sort of conglomeration of different cultural things. So, for instance, I don't think this movie would work if it wasn't Keanu Reeves leading it, which is going to be really interesting seeing how they pivot now that Keanu Reeves isn't going to be in the future of this franchise. But because Keanu Reeves has such a like stellar public image and he's kind of pre- as pristine as an actor can be and the way this movie is made all of these elements combined make this like perfect recipe of low stakes action entertainment so it's kind of this like perfect entertainment vehicle because you don't have to think about anything you can just sit there and enjoy the fact that it's John Wick fighting these crazy villains in create creative set sequences and, you know, just enjoy the the chaos of it all. As opposed to like having to think about like, oh, this actor could have has a CD past or this this story doesn't align with my politics or like something like that. Like it doesn't have any of that. It's completely devoid of any intellectual uh, intellectual arguments it's devoid of any of that and because of that it's universally liked there's there's completely low stakes entertainment and so i think that's one of the reasons why it's so successful and i'm really curious to see if they'll be able to continue that into the future without an actor like keanu reeves who is just universally well liked can i be honest though like okay keanu reeves great guy love him he definitely got a lot of people in in the seats and you know you're kind of there to see him more or less but i will say that his character is cool but him he's getting old a little bit you know like i feel like in this movie specifically more noticeably than in the last ones he seems to be getting a little sluggish in terms of like the fight scenes are not as intricate and crazy anymore i don't know no not that's not the case i don't know sorry that, that's not exactly what i mean but if i was really paying attention to the fights and there was times but it was always with keanu reeves where i felt like there was like one guy who was just kind of waiting there kind of like i'm gonna attack keanu reeves and keanu is kind of trying his best to keep up with the movements where there's all these like young professional stuntmen who are just like can move and do everything this with such agility and precision that I think it I'm kind of excited to see where it would go next and it kind of goes into what 
you were just saying with uh, Rina Sawayama, which I think her character and that whole Osaka scene was actually my favorite part of the movie. Like her action scene was like so cool. Like her movements seem so fluid and believable and interesting that I think I'm kind of excited to see where it goes next. Like you don't really need a super professional acting in this. Like it's all that like physical component to the acting. And I think these like younger actors can really shine in that. And I think I kind of look forward to to there. And maybe you can keep like an older guy, kind of how like Lawrence Fishburne doesn't do any flips or anything, but he's a face there, right? And I think we can keep those bigger A-list actors there as faces, but leave the action to like these kind of people who can really shine in those positions. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Lawrence Fishburne's been the older guy in the background who doesn't really do any of the action since he was like 30. (laughs) But anyway, I I think all of that touches on a really key, another key point that I wanted to point out in this movie, which is the fact that they casted this movie so well and they casted for a diversity of people, of different cultures, of different fighting styles, of different ethnicities of different sizes of different ages all of that added to a myriad of different you know unique setups like you mentioned rina sawayama's fight scenes they were really fun and interesting because she's so much more petite than almost every other person in the room and they even they ask they amplified that in a couple of scenes where they hired like particularly large actors to fight her and you see her like crawling all over them and stabbing them in different ways but it was like really interesting visually striking as opposed to what we get a lot with like more main not mainstream but more traditional american action movies you get like every person looks like a tall burly white man and they all have kind of the same fighting style and it's just the only diversity is whether they use a gun or they just use their fist you get your jason jason statham versus your dwayne johnson's pretty much it's exactly just the big muscle guy versus the big muscle guy. and it, it's just it it's less cinematic because there's you kind of know how those fights are going to go they're going to tussle for a while and then they're going to punch each other and then eventually one's going to win but with these different setups you kind of don't know how it's going to go exactly like you have your blind character with donnie yen and he fights in such a unique style where he uses kind of echolocation and sound and then you have your your john wick who is just kind of a anything could become a weapon kind of fighter which is is really interesting and dynamic to watch because he's like like famously in and i think the either the last one or the one before the last one he uses a pencil as a weapon and it you know that works really well for him they make a they made a joke about it in this movie where he grabs a pencil or something or somebody grabs a pencil and then you have like that character the german character who is like a big large fat man and he fights very differently too he he like overwhelms you with like large hits or whatever i don't know like it's just it's very interesting to see the diversity of of fighting styles and it adds to this like the Hmm. cinema cinematic universe that we're in as opposed to something that would be more bland and i think it's actually i think you mentioned this in creed it's very anime inspired and i think we're going to see a lot more of that going forward american cinema is increasingly inspired by anime and anime fighting styles and anime storytelling for a lot of the same reasons mentioned earlier is that anime is very good about creating compelling narratives that are very safe to watch because they're not that deep not to say that anime doesn't have really great deep storytelling they do but like uh-huh. your naruto's your yeah, yeah, shonen style shonen. manga and anime which is like 
it's geared towards like 14 year old boys yeah i think you're seeing a lot of that translation into american cinema right now so i i want to continue this line of thought before i do because i don't want to pivot too far away where this kind of doesn't come relevant anymore because in the beginning you 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 mentioned rina sawayama so so she's a she's a singer is that who she is she is a pop star rising pop star yes um she has a couple of really really great she's kind of like indie pop she's not like ariana grande levels of famous but she is very influenced it seems by like early 2000s like think britney spears but then she also has a really great mix of influences interesting okay I'll have to check it out. But that's actually a perfect segue into actually what I wanted to talk about with all these cultures. It's funny that you saw it, that it's such an inclusive cast, which it it is. And I will give it that. When you said it, I was like, okay, I will give it that. The thing I wrote down in the, in the theater was stereotypes, dot, dot, dot. I agree with you. Where especially, and I will say, I remember Don, I remember reading an interview with Donnie Yen where he specifically was like, hey, you have to change these things because I don't want to be a stereotype. I think his character in this film is great because he isn't playing like an Asian stereotype. He's just playing a blind man who can kind of fight. Is that a stereotype? I don't know. Not a Chinese Asian stereotype. But it's just like a stereotype, like an Asian stereotype? It's basically, so it's not, it's not a hundred percent a stereotype. It's not like, it's not a complete appropriation or a stereotype, but there is uh, a famous Japanese samurai character called Zato Ichi, the blind swordsman. And that's basically who Donnie Yen is playing in this movie. I I guess. Is that the character? Is that the, the sorry, this is a little side note here. Is this the same character that the the Admiral in one piece? is based yes. on in One yeah. Piece? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, but at least like it's less so than the other Japanese characters. For instance, like Hiroyuki Sanada and Rina Sawayama and their whole like Osaka thing. The whole Osaka arc mm-hmm. is just felt so stereotyping and like kind of putting Japan in a little box kind of feeling. I don't know if you play this game. It's kind of popular right now. It's called Fortnite. Have you heard of Fortnite? Have I heard of Fortnite? Yes. yes. I, I don't live under a rock. I have played Fortnite before. <laughs> okay. So the current like season of Fortnite, they Japanified the whole world pretty much. Got it. And like Japan is the thing. And it looks exactly like this John Wick movie where it's like all neon lights and like stealthy, armory looking kind of sleek stuff. Everyone has a katana and uses old traditional weapons and wears kimonos. But like that's not Japan. And I think this is maybe me like fixating on it. But Listeners, I'm not just some like Japanese nerd. I have a I have a degree in Japanese language literature and I lived in Japan. So it's it, I know I'm just like a white guy talking about it, but there is a sense of like I had years of study in a way that like I do know the difference. So don't doubt me completely. He's here. not just a weeb. Yes, yes, thank you. So I, I don't know why they don't use guns. I've seen more Japanese people wear suits that Americans wear suits. And I don't know why when they go to Japan, everyone's wearing kimono. People in Japan wear suits, especially Osaka. Their Osaka fashion is so distinct and interesting, yet they're all wearing kimonos. No one in Osaka wears kimonos. That's like more Kyoto of anything. Also, the isn't so, it true that in upper class business Japanese culture, you're supposed to wear a suit. The kimonos and stuff are all yeah. just like for ceremonial events. 
the suit is what uh, I think it might stem more or less from American occupation of Japan in the 1950s. But a lot of mm. Japanese business culture, which uh, the Yakuza are sort of mimicking, is is that upper class business culture. Uh, a lot of that is like kind of inspired by 1950s upper class business culture. So I think that there's like some there's a connection there between that and like noir films, which are really big in the 1950s. And then modernizing it, you get to neo-noir. And then now we're seeing what is now called neon-noir. And so I think that's where a lot of oh. like this like weird neon everything. And also, I think in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, up to 80s, maybe in Japan, there was a lot of like neon. Like that was what... That's true. But have you seen the show Tokyo Vice? I think like that show takes place in a time where it makes more sense. But like, like they go to a very, they, they open up the Osaka shot with the Dontonbury district of, of Osaka, which is a great place. I love that area. It's like little river and you see like the Glico sign and all those like crazy like food vendors and, and street stores and some of that, right? Great area, really fun. And like there are those parts of it. But then like once you leave that, it's, it's like a, it's a big city, you know, there's tall buildings, cars everywhere. There's more depth to Japan than just kimonos and neon signs and samurai swords and honor to your family right yeah so i will say that like that was something that i wrote down and i want to segue into then bill skarsgård uh which i don't know what do you think of his i want to say french accent is that what he was doing uh because he's french right his name is like Marquis. Yeah, I think he was trying to be French, but he is actually... He's Swedish. Swedish. There's, there's Swedish. Swedish. Yeah, so I mean, so I actually think that was the weakest part of this whole film is the villain, Bill Skarsgård's character, Marquis de, de whatever, just really like could not be more forgettable, could not be less terrifying. I have nothing I mean, to Donnie say Yen played a... Donnie Yen was such a more interesting villain because he had like... There was like a tension between him and Keanu or John Wick, which is like they're old friends and he doesn't necessarily want to kill John Wick, but it like he has to, or if he doesn't, then his family and the ones he loves will die. Mm -hmm. And like there's such a more interesting kind of tension and build up between those characters and Donnie Yen's uh, character Kane as a villain rather than Bill Skarsgård's character who is just like I'm evil French man and then he's in a room with other actual French actors and they have actual French accents and he's like well I'm La French and this is what I'm gonna sound like I don't know it felt weird his accent felt weird and his performance was a little weird but I think the action was undoubtedly great and I kind of want to jump into one thing, before I get into my last point, what do you have to say, Chase? Yeah, so I think they were attempting to try and do a sort of like a character that you just absolutely hate. And so in the end, you just want to see him die. And they sort of almost got there so that his death was like really satisfying because it was fun to see him like die because he's so arrogant. But they needed to set that up just a little bit more. Like even like one or two more scenes where you really see him be the shittiest of all human beings would have been 
more fun because then you could see him ordering around these like top-notch assassins but like not realize that they could all end him in like a second uh if not for the fact that he is protected by this like marquee seal and his money or whatever they just needed to really push that a little bit further and then his death would have been so satisfying there's like only one scene that stood out which was when they're in like the little horse barn thing and he like stab the the tracker's hand but that like made him seem um, kind of cool and like he could hold his own so, i think it should have been like i i'm i nothing's quite coming to mind right this second but somehow they could have made his character seem weaker and like he is reliant on these other people to protect him i totally agree with you but speaking of action and stuff that's what makes up this movie and it had some really great cool action scenes i loved them i like i said already the osaka one was probably my favorite and then the other one that really stood out was when he's in paris and he goes into the like abandoned building and it goes into like a top down for you and it's just one long take of him going through this building a la like what's the movie called hard-boiled when they go through the hospital in all one take it kind of reminded me of that it was a great great scene however my one big thing that I wrote down, the first thing I wrote down with my notes is whenever real life gets into an action scene or anything in this movie, everything starts to fall apart. Oh, what are you speaking about specifically? All right. So for instance, they're in Paris. They're fighting around the Arc de Triomphe mm -hmm. and they're just shooting each other. And then cars are like, I'm going to work. I'm going to just drive right past you, even though you're... Like they would drive in between two sets of people shooting at each other with guns. And they're just like, I have to get to work. You know, like for some reason, everyone in that are just like normal people are just oblivious to these people who are killing each other until it kind of until it isn't. For instance, another scene is in the club where John Wick goes to to fight the German guy, the big German guy with the golden teeth. Mm -hmm. He's like shooting people in there and beating them up and everyone just dancing. They're like, oh, yeah, just let me show you my moves. Yeah, I can't like I don't care about this guy who's right next to me killing people. I'm just like, oh, let me show you these cool moves. And then at the really end, then it's like, oh, shoot, someone died. And then it's for, for some reason. I don't know why there's a certain point where people start running away for some reason where the whole entire fight where they're like throwing axes at each other, shooting each other, throwing people off of build like the platforms onto lower levels. No one bats an eye. And then suddenly they're just like, oh, the scene's almost over. We have to run away now. Like those scenes just pulled me out so much. I'm like, why isn't anyone reacting to this right this is part of the problem with the way that they are telling the story of this john wick assassins universe is it's really unclear how secret the society is or if it's like actually like general knowledge the assassins just walk among us and so if they are killing each other just ignore them let them get it out because it seems like death and like giant explosions and buildings collapsing into nothing out of nowhere all of that is happening just like on the daily. Like this universe is just terrifying and they just have like a different tolerance for insane amounts of violence. Yeah, but also the I movie's not about that. Like America today. Sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, 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 but I guess so. It, it's not, a. it's more, it's just about the action. And I will say those action scenes are all cool. And I think they kind of have to be there in a way because it adds to the craziness of the fight scene. Like for instance, the fight scene around the Arc, Arc de Triomphe, those cars going in there 
definitely adds to the entire fight. The bus coming along. Because they're dodging yeah. it, they're throwing in it. Yeah, like that whole thing is really cool. They're setting. Uh, but I think that's it, what they are. Yeah, but it, it doesn't, if you think about it longer than a second and actually think about how realistic it is, it falls apart. And also like the next scene when he goes into that abandoned building, he jumps out of like a four-story building onto the top of a truck and then hits the ground and he just gets up and just continues walking. And it's like, come on. He also falls like, down 200 flights of stairs or something. Yeah, I mean... Twice. Uh, but, uh... I mean, I, I, here's the thing. You're not there for that, right? I guess, you know, at the end of the day, maybe? I don't know. Should we, we Can we hold this film accountable for having at least a little bit of realism? I, I really just think it's it's so not about that. It's really just uh, about the fact that John Wick creatively kills people. And it's not even like their deaths are violent. Like that's what's so crazy about it is that their deaths are like, like there's hardly any like gore or blood splatter. It's just like he does a few little jabs and then they're done. You know, he's, that's how great of an assassin he is. And he just has to get through like 400 people (laughs) over the course of three hours. And like, I think that's kind of how I'm thinking about it is like, it's sort of like video game levels, the, the German nightclub or whatever, where there there's dancers happening all around while you're throwing axes at each other. If you were in like a video game, that wouldn't be even remotely surprising to you. Right. They would just be background. Mm. They're just a part of the, the artistic setting. Same with the cars. They're just, a a part of the the dynamic setting you know on on the arc de triumph and all of these different obstacles and it's just it's not really even a story there's no story to this like i that was one of my notes is that like i don't even know what's going on i don't really care i I know there's some secret society that has some bearing on this world but it's not like they matter the only relevance they have is they have the secret rules that we learn a new rule each movie that complicates John Wick's life in some way. Yeah, yeah. Like, it just, it, it doesn't matter. The whole point is just to go there and experience hyperviolence in a visually stunning way for a few hours of, of low stakes uh, entertainment. I mean, the story is pretty much the same as the last few movies, anyway. You could watch them in a different um, order. Except for you, the final part. That's the only part. True, true. Actually, speaking of stories and Arc de Triomphe and Paris, the funny, the cool thing about this movie, I thought, was a lot of the locations they were went they were in. I've actually gone to, so it was kind of fun to to see. But I have a fun driving story in Paris, which was I went to Mont Saint Michel. So I, I took a train to Mont Saint Michel, and my plan was to drive a car back from Mont Saint Michel to Paris, where my hotel was. And there was two things that complicated this this task. One is when I booked the car, I didn't realize that they didn't have any manual trans or automatic transmission cars. They only had manual transmission cars. So did I ever have I ever driven a manual transmission car? No, I have not. However, I did drive a motorcycle for several years. And I was like, I know how to shift gears. I know how to do that whole thing. So I was like, well, I'll do it. I'm going to do it. Now that was complication number one figure out how to drive a manual transmission car in a different foreign country. The second part was the night before I had escargot. And um, let's just say that um, it wasn't agreeing with me the next day. I was slightly sick. So it was a, a mixture of trying to figure out how to use a manual transmission car in a foreign country and also 
uh, being a little sick. But it was cool because I, I made it safely. I didn't stall the car at all, not once. And I was able to drive through Paris, which was actually kind of the hardest part because from Mont Saint-Michel to Paris, it was just like being on a highway. So you don't have to really shift gears or anything. You're just like sticking to like whatever gear it was that was the appropriate speed limit. And then you're just driving for two hours. When I got into Paris, it was like the scary part because you have stop signs, you're constantly shifting gears and stopping and going and like trying to figure out how do I get around like Arc de Triomphe and different things like that. And that was like really crazy. But it was a really beautiful city to drive around in though. So maybe next time I'll do it again, but with an automatic transmission or like a moped or something like that. But that's my story. I hope it's fun. But I just kind of while watching this movie, it kind of made me think of that. So I just kind of wanted to bring it up here as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that brings up another way that this movie is kind of enjoyable is it's sort of like a travel blog. You know, you get to kind mm-hmm. of secondhand experience all of these places if you haven't been there. And if you have been there, you get to re- be reminded of your experience and also secondhand experience in a completely new way. Sometimes in a more fantastical way, like in Osaka's neon noir way. But anyways, that was all my notes. So uh, if you have anything else, if you don't have anything else to say, then you want to jump into our concession impressions? Let's go for it. So great, Michael, how would you rate this? I would give this one a pop corn seal of approval i think it's not a great film in terms of story or anything super engaging in the long run however i think it does its job well what it comes out to do and it's it creates an interesting fun action film that you kind of just go in and just enjoy those scenes i loved just going in and seeing a fight scene where there isn't 15 different cuts where you can see in a, the entire string of punches and kicks and flips without it ever cutting once, which is just amazing, especially like a lot of those fights. You just pick out any of the fight scenes in the entire movie and you'll have a good time. You're there for the action. It does its job and it's a great action film. So popcorn for me. Yeah, I, I think for it to be a peanut M&M film, it has to be both memorable and relevant in some meaningful way. And this movie is neither that memorable or that relevant to anything remotely human (laughs) or in in the real world. So I, I would also give it a popcorn. I think it is like really just like the perfect encapsulation of a popcorn movie. It's just pure entertainment that is going to be a good time for the time you're there and you're going to enjoy the night out and you can go with friends you can go alone you you know it never disappoints that's what makes a good popcorn movie is it's just a good time precisely i would agree do you have any um takeout takeaways for this movie chase yeah i think for me if i'm ever in the situation where i need to cast a franchise I I think one of the things I'm now going to look for is what is their social appeal. So Keanu Reeves is so kind of perfectly positioned to lead a franchise because every single person likes him. I like literally I can't think of one person who doesn't like Keanu Reeves and that's like the perfect person to lead a franchise because you're going to get people in the audience to come see it because they know it's not going to be offensive to them in any way. So true. So that's true. my takeaway. Now, my takeout takeaway, I kind of mentioned it already, more inclusion, uh, and we don't need to include other nations into a movie as a stereotype, just include them in the movie as a character. That's all I'll say. Let's do that. Okay, well, that's it. 
Uh, that'll be it for this episode. And let us know what you think. Give us a five-star review and say, I hate Keanu Reeves, if you do hate Keanu Reeves. If not, everyone else, give us five-star and say, I love Keanu Reeves. Or I guess maybe the opposite. You can only give us a one-star review or any other star review if you hate Keanu Reeves. If you don't hate Keanu Reeves, you have to give us a five-star review. Also, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Film Cookbook. Leave us a comment on that. We always post our movies on there like what movie reviews so just comment be like john wick i would give it a popcorn i would give it an m i would give it a raisin nets let us know what you think you know we'd love to hear what you think we, we love to hear those things when we have people uh comment so yeah that's it for this week we'll see you on the next episode next weekend of concession impressions bye everyone bye